Welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast for dance teachers and dance studio owners who have a passion for the art of dance. Hi everyone and welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast. My name is Stacey Morgan and I am proud to welcome you to episode one of our brand new podcast. Joining me is the man himself, Mr. Regold. Welcome, Re. Hello there. I'm excited for <laughs> podcast one. I was just saying before we hit record that this is a this is a story you've told many times before. Yes, it is. Uh, but nothing I would change in this story. <laughs> Let's start at the very beginning. You have known dance for your entire life. Your mother owned a dance studio. You and your brother grew up with the sound of tap shoes and music in the basement. Tell us how dance first influenced your life and how it has shaped the person that you've become. Okay, so... As many of our listeners know, I grew up in the home with the studio that was in the basement. And honestly and truly, until I was nine or 10 years old, I thought everybody had a studio in their basement. I thought this dance thing was something that was in everybody's home. Uh, So needless to say, it was a disappointment when I realized that what we had was something uh, that was unique. And disappointment may not be the right word, but something really special in our house. Everybody in the neighborhood danced there. Everybody in town danced there. So, yeah, what I remember the most, I think, is Saturday mornings and preschoolers singing to music at the top of their lungs and that that was the norm, that... that That would be what Saturday morning was. It was cartoons on the TV, cereal, and uh, kids singing in the basement all the time. That's awesome. An incredible environment to grow up in. And no wonder you you feel like dance is just an entire part of your being. Because I bet you were one of those preschoolers. Did your mum drag you down into the basement to do class? She dragged me down, um, and really, I didn't want to dance. Uh, wasn't disciplined enough to stay in the room even a half hour. You know, <laughs> I would last about ten minutes and say, "I'm going upstairs, gonna watch TV, or I'm going outside with my friends." For me, it was really around ten, eleven years old when I realized that I I liked this thing. I'll tell you, before that, sometimes I get off the school bus and run and hide in the woods. So instead of my mother teaching her class, she was out looking for me who was hiding in the woods, which um, I feel bad about. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that in this day and age with our clientele, parents would not have been too pleased having had their little star miss their dance class because the dance studio owner was out hunting with their son. Yes, yes, yes. I look at it now and I think to myself, between my brother and I and all the antics that we pulled with that studio (laughs) being in the basement, that it was a wonder my mother had as many students as she had. (laughs) So you grew up dancing in the basement. What happened when you grew too tall? You know, I grew probably too tall about age 11. And by too tall, I mean, if I jumped, I hit my hands on the ceiling. We had three poles in the middle of the room. 
And so you'd hit those poles, you'd jump and you'd hit your hands on the ceiling. And then about age 12, 13, my mother moved to a larger building and we were free to jump, we were free to turn. But wait, I want to tell you something. My mother taught us how to change spots while we were turning by making us turn around the poles. So we got a lesson that I think other kids didn't get. We were all good spotters because of the three poles in the basement. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can imagine that feeling when you first got into a new space that had no poles and that had a ceiling that was high enough for you to jump. What was that like? That was the beginning of... You know, I never thought of it this way, but that was the really the beginning of my passion for dance. That move, that new studio, the studio grew by leaps and bounds. The We came out of the basement and were ready for, I think, the more professional future of that business, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah, that's awesome. So fast forward to now, you have this in incredible life where you inspire dance studio owners and dance teachers all around the world. Fill in the gaps for us between where you've just moved to the new studio and you're inspired and now here you are today. Did you do competitions when you were younger? What led you to teaching? When did you know that teaching was for you? Tell us all about that journey. Okay, it's been a long journey. I don't want to tell you how many years, but I'll summarize. For me, I started to teach about age 15. I taught some for my mother, but there was this place, it was called Chatham West. It was in the town or the city where my mother's studio was, which is Brockton, Massachusetts. And it was a low-income housing development. And they let me go in and use their rec room and run a studio. I, I, I ran classes two or three days a week. And I think it was at that time, even though I don't think I was a good teacher, I look back and I say, I don't know what, what I thought I was doing, but you know what? It broke me in and I learned from the experience. But one time I was putting on a show and in this place, a show was all the parents brought food and they had round tables and the kids danced and that was the recital and these kids families were in the room and I'm looking around and I hadn't seen some of them their fathers before or their mothers before because they were low income mostly single family households or single parent households and I realized <laughs> And here was a family of seven sitting down to watch this kid dance. And the dance was bringing this family together. And at 15, I saw that. So I started to notice this dance thing was more than how high we can get our leg or how many pirouettes we can do. Dance is a unifying art form expression. And at 15, I started to realize that. So, I don't want to just keep going and not give you a chance to ask anything, but here goes. So, my next level here was that I started to run dance competitions at age 17. And I think that 
the first years of running those dance competitions, I just assumed that that's where I was headed the whole rest of the month and that my company would keep growing and this is what I was going to do. But let's say in the 13th, 14th year of running this company, I saw a lot of burned out dance teachers. I saw dance teachers who didn't like each other because one won an award and the other one didn't. And I started to feel like there was some something missing in the education of the dance teacher and the dance educator that in their minds, they're putting too much emphasis on this competition thing and maybe losing sight of the once a week kid, not only because the once a week kid is uh, financially paying more, but also because that once a week kid can have a passion for dance and, and never do a triple pirouette, never do anything more than a little recital at the end of the year. So my mind started changing about dance education and what we were doing in our classrooms slowly but surely as I did the dance competitions. I think that in my life, this journey that I have been on each time, and it had been a lot of curves in the journey, but each time I can look back and say there was a reason I was in that place. It's made me better for where I am right now. So that's how I uh, launched the first Project Motivate, was how I saw what has now blossomed into all of this. And uh, Project Motivate had 22 people the first time. We sat in a circle. I read from a book that I had written. Uh, and it worked, and people loved it, and I didn't know what I was doing once again. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> because you think about those 20 people for Project Motivate, and then you think about the 500, 800 people that come to your conferences now, and, you know, that's a big circle. That's a <laughs> really that's a big, big circle. Circle. But know that... It wouldn't have been good, this is good for our listeners to know, to have had the 800 people in the beginning because as you go through the journey and you learn, you are prepared for what comes next. In the beginning, I might have dreamed about having even 200 people, yeah. but it might not have been the same. I might not have learned the lessons that I learned to be prepared for the growth. Yeah. I'm in awe of your traveling schedule in, in how you are sought after in so many countries around the world and, and the size of your conferences and events. When you travel, is there common themes that you see between us dance teachers that there's no, you know, there's no link between demographic or ethnicity or it, it, it's the kind of the same thing when, wherever you travel to? Okay, the very first thing that I'll say about that is I just returned not too long ago from Australia. And every time I go somewhere else, it reaffirms. Um, if dance is in your blood, it is stuck there forever. It doesn't matter where you live. You will never be able to let the passion go. That I know. 
everywhere we go. Even if we can't speak the same language, the movement makes us all understand the same feeling, the same emotion, which is actually more important than speaking the words as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, the common theme, if you were to ask me what is the thing that I work on the most, no matter where I go, it's confidence. It's getting school owners and teachers to have confidence in the career choice they made, in the how they want to run their class, in the how they want to run their business. It's confidence to do it the way that they want to do it. I work really hard to instill that confidence because many of us look to other teachers and think that their success is what our success should be. Mm -hmm. Once we realize in this field that each one of us, because dance is an art form, bring a unique personality to the field or to our communities that attract people who like our personality. Once we get to understand that and have confidence in that, our businesses grow. Yeah. And so... The other thing that everybody has in common, coast to coast, country to country, pond to pond, is parents. Uh, I can't, can't express how I do a seminar now as I say, tell me what is your toughest issue, but we're skipping over parents because that will be the only thing that they'll talk about. Yeah. So yes, we have a lot in common. And when it comes to the parents, Again, it's a confidence thing. It's our ability to respond to a parent with a professional answer in a professional, calm way, cool and collected, mm -hmm. like the experts that we are in our field. Yep. And sometimes it's really easy to forget that. Yes, it is. It is. It's an emotional thing. So because we got on this, I'll say one more thing. It's that confidence, underlying confidence thing, because it's being able to, let's say a parent doesn't like a choice of music or some choreography or has an opinion. It's you having the confidence to say, I made this choice and here are the reasons why I made this choice. And I'm confident that that was the right thing. But thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> that's the confidence so you get it it's really the first thing I talked about which is who are you and what do you want your school your classroom your choreography your culture to be yeah we all need a little re-gold sitting on our shoulder in those moments when it's time to talk to that parent you know then you see them coming up the hall and they're coming and you know why they're coming because you've heard from 15 other people that they're unhappy <laughs> yes, yes. Just need that little shot of confidence on your shoulder to go, actually, this is my place. I made this decision. It's funny because sometimes I could use someone on my shoulder. So, so there's a point I want to make. You know that for those who are listening, this confidence thing isn't consistent 100% always there. Sometimes you must act like you have confidence, even if you're insecure because you're a pro. 
I'm not 100% confident in my time, but I will sure give the appearance that I am when I need to be. That's an important thing for our listeners to know. Always on show, hey? Always performing. Always. It's show business. <laughs> yes, it is. Absolutely. We, we need to do a whole webinar on my feeling on how when you walk into the classroom, it is your show. And if you were really doing a show, it would be the best show every time you did it. That's a whole podcast for us. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> So now moving from, you know, the basement and the competition circle and now running conferences, you write books, you're an author, you speak all around the world, you're an influencer. What is the message that you most want to share with the world? Dance is the greatest gift. Here's the message. I have seen the best, strongest, most beautiful dancers out there standards high above what any of our students will reach. I've seen it. But then I have seen the girl in the wheelchair who can only move her right arm, and I've been moved just as much by that little girl who can only move her right arm. I have seen a 65-year-old man in his tap shoes and the joy on his face equals the same joy on a professional dancer's face. So the message that I have for the whole world, dance educators, students, their parents, is that dance is a gift. We need to stop trying to be a better dancer than everyone else or a better teacher than everyone else and share our gift with everyone else and appreciate the gift that everyone else has. To me, that seems so, so simple because it's a soul thing. People don't realize it. We as dancers look and we, we criti we're critical. We go, oh, she could have stretched her leg a little more. She needs to pull up and passe a little more. What we don't realize is the world out there isn't looking at that arabesque. The world out there is looking at how they're moved or what they feel. And I think sometimes we miss that part because we're so overly trying to make the most fantastic dances that we're overlooking how somebody's going to feel watching it. It's that simple. That's my message. Yeah, I love that. And I love that I get the chance to talk to you about it and get inspired like this. This is perfect. <laughs> I can talk about this all day long. This is uh, what I'm all about. We've got episode upon episode upon episode. So thank you so much, Ray. That's just been a lovely start and introduction to our listeners that perhaps weren't as familiar with your journey and with your story. We have, I've picked out about six different things out of all of that that we can make entire episodes about. So we will make sure we get to that. 
Thank you so much for joining us, everybody, on Regold's Dance Life. We hope you've really enjoyed episode one. If you are a dance teacher or a dance studio owner or just someone who just enjoys the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher or on Spotify in order to make sure you get every episode just as it goes live. We would love you to share the podcast with your dance teachers, fellow dance studio owners or anyone you feel who can get something out of it. It's really important, especially in these early days of the podcast, that we show iTunes some love and collect some ratings and reviews. We'd love your help and getting this going thank you so much Ree, for joining us it's been lovely chatting thank you it's a blast my closing thought here is when you're done listening to this podcast pat yourself on the back and have a little more confidence because you followed your dream you followed your journey and you're a dance person how cool is that enjoy the journey thank you for joining us for Regold's dance life podcast Learn more about joining the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, the Dance Life Teacher Conference, and the Dance Life Retreat Center at regold.com or follow Regold's Dance Life on Facebook. Enjoy the journey. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 